And welcome back to The Big Wake Up Call. I'm Ryan Gatenby, and time to get to my next guest. It is always fun to see one of his books come in. And this one is Zeus the Mighty, The Voyage on the Odyssey. And we're going to check in with Crispin Boyer. And uh, welcome back to the show. Hey, Ryan. Great to be back. Thanks for having me. Yeah, now you are in our four-timers club, so you're just one appearance away from the hat, t-shirt, or mug. <laughs> oh, wow. Okay, I got some thinking to do. So uh, if you, you know... Yeah, I, I vote for the, the, the mug. It's, I can always use a mug. So, you know, if you weren't planning to write another book, then maybe there's an incentive. <laughs> yeah, well, trust me, now I'm, now I'm motivated. So tell us a little bit about Zeus the Mighty, and uh, where do our characters find themselves this time? Well, like all the other installments in the series, this is the fifth one, and each one focuses on a different myth from Greek mythology. So uh, in previous books, we had Zeus and the gang. They fought the Minotaur. They, uh, they, we had Hercules join their adventures. We had him tra- travel for the Golden Fleece. And in this one, we cover a pretty big topic, and that is Homer's The Odyssey, Hence the uh, the tongue twisting name of this particular uh, installment, the Voyage on the Odyssey, and uh, so you know it, it vaguely follows the outlines of the of Homer's Odyssey. That's a myth that spans ten years. So this, as always, it just spans one night at Mount Olympus Pet Center. But I try and fit in all the, the cool stuff like sea monsters and shipwrecking storms and sirens. Uh, yeah, Let's see how Zeus fares this time. So you're with these. You're you're always creating kind of a, a dual universe, as as we do have characters uh, living in a pet shop, and then they are able to create their own fantasy world. Which I am always wondering, like what my dog is thinking. You know what animals can come up with. So it would be amazing to find out they're they're writing these adventures in their heads. <laughs> yeah, you you get it like a ring camera or something, and put them on them and see what they're up to at night. They're, they're probably having all kinds of adventures. And, and that's the fun thing about this book is it does take place in a pet shop in Athens, Georgia. But to the animals, they view it as that they're in Greece. So when they, you know, when Zeus is up on his shelf, he, the high shelf, he thinks that's Mount Olympus. And when they look out at the aquarium section, they think that that's the, the ocean. And, uh, and it does create, um, yeah. you know, kind of a dual world. Maybe like even a three, a triple world and that the animals also can all talk to each other. The, you know, Zeus a hamster can talk to a puffer fish, Poseidon, talk to a cat, Athena. And they can understand the human, uh, Artemis, who runs the shop, but she doesn't understand anything they're saying. So to your point, uh, maybe this is going on with your dog and, and, and his animal friends. They're all having these conversations about you. Um, <laughs> and, uh, and maybe this is actually rea- the reality that, that we're facing right now. <laughs> when you're writing, are you picturing the animals like are you trying to have a visual as you're writing yeah and the funny thing is so this series is illustrated by a really cool illustrator andy elkerton who's based out of scotland when i wrote the first book i kind of had my own ideas of what the animals look like but then you know after the book the manuscript's done we set it off the illustrator and then collaborate on different illustrations and then he drew all these animals and now whenever i see them i see them in, as his depiction so I, not only do I see them, but I see them as they are illustrated in the book when they're going on their adventure. Then, you know, I have to think, too, what, as I'm writing, that how, how can we illustrate this concept? And then I don't really have to worry about it because he always does a great job, but uh, it's always fun to see how 
he brings certain ideas to life. And sometimes he'll illustrate something and I'll look at it and I'll be like, I kind of like how he presented this. And I'll go back and tweak the text a little bit to match his illustration. So in that sense, it's a really cool collaboration. It kind of helps uh, lift the material up a bit. I think the visuals do lend themselves. I think they would look good in animation. Have you ever been in discussions to do something like that? There's been a few rumblings about it because, you know, National Geographic is owned by Disney now, and Disney has its own network, and right. they're always looking for content. So uh, I'm certainly all for it. Uh, that would be like a, a great opportunity then to, to write for a, a television show based on these characters. Uh, yeah, there's been some mumbling about it, but nothing solid yet. I, I agree with you. And, you know, it does exist outside of the books in a podcast, too, that was inspired by the books. And so it, it does have life beyond just the pages, which I think is important to, to get kids into reading. Uh, if they have other outlets where they can kind of find a thread and follow it back to the books, that's always helpful. Yeah, and I, I think with National Geographic Kids, part of your goal, besides, you know, an, an entertaining, captivating story, you're teaching kids in the story about uh, Greek mythology, and hopefully, I think one of your goals would be kind of inspiring their curiosity enough for them to e explore beyond that themselves. That is the that's, the, that's the key, yeah, that's very much one of my goals, is to kind of, it's a sneaky way to teach the readers about about mythology in that sense it's like you know educational because it is all based on real myths and it's, it's vetted by a professor of Greek mythology but in a way that then you know gets kids really interested in it and then they can follow up and they can go uh, you know to the website for the series thismoney.com and read a lot more about mythology and then you know then once they're they're on National Geographic site so they can they can follow all the follow down all these rabbit holes <laughs> into other things aspects of mythologies and um, and but but ultimately, you know, it just has to be like a fun story uh, with with some crazy characters that then the, the kids can read the books and not really recognize that they might be learning something. Although at the end of the book, there is a section yeah. called the truth of, uh, behind the fiction that then like a more it's more like a standard National Geographic article that just explains the myth they just read and has cool photography of the locations in real life and. So, yeah, maybe if and the kids can read that if they want, or they can just go on to the next book, and, and it, it, hopefully they, they like to devour the whole thing, you know? Have you ever thought about what would happen if one of these uh, animals was adopted? Uh, yeah, and someone floated the idea that at the end of the series, Zeus can be adopted by, like, say, uh, an Italian family, and they rename him Jupiter, and then Ooh. they get all into a whole new pantheon of, of, of Roman gods, or maybe a Nor like a Norse family, they call him Thor. I mean, it's all in his head, Zeus, Zeus's head. I mean, yeah. He's already got the ego to really fill any major deity's shoes. So, <laughs> yeah, that might, that might be something. But, you know, it, it's, it's tough because it is, you're right, it's a pet rescue center. These animals uh, theoretically, ostensibly should be adopted out but the story here my my fix for that is that Artie the woman who runs the shop these are her favorite animals and she's always going to keep them and then there's other animals in the background that you just kind of filter around they're not really named those are the ones that go and find homes uh, but but these particular animals are Artie's to keep kind of the mascots for the shop so they'll they'll be there as long as uh, as long as I guess the story the stories continue I do love the idea of at some point, 
changing the name to Jupiter and being able to, wow, what a great jumping off point that would be for, and that they're still in the same um, kind of universe. I'm just wondering, oh, the other animals come visit. I, uh, you know, I'm not a writer, just think, and I, you must hate when people give you ideas, but you came up with that idea, so I think that's a good one. Oh, no, I don't hate when people give me ideas at all. It's ballpark. Let's, let's outline the next series right now. <laughs> it makes my job easier. Have you, and I hear a lot of authors, are, are your books translated in other languages? Has someone, you know, done this in like the original Greek? <laughs> that is a good question, the original Greek. I know it's in Spanish, and I, I think it's come out in Asia, but I'm not sure. I know that the way it works is, is so like National Geographic typically will then like license it out to other countries and they'll translate it. But at the very least, I know that 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 Zeus lives on in Spanish, and I've I've actually seen a copy uh, where you know they've taken everything I've written and all my dialogue and translated it into Spanish, which is it's just pretty cool. <laughs> I kind of like the idea of Zeus uh, walking around in, in in speaking Spanish. It's a fun idea. Yeah. Um, and the new book is Zeus, the Mighty, the Voyage on the Oddest Sea. My guest, of course, is Crispin Boyer. Thank you so much for joining me, and please come back so we can get you that mug. <laughs> oh, you bet. I can't wait. Next book, please have me back on. I, I can't wait for my mug. Of course. Thank you.